Ben Stern grew up in Poland when the Nazis rose to power. He lived in the Warsaw Ghetto and then was taken by the Nazis and he lived in nine different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. When the war ended and they liberated the concentration camps, Ben went in search for his family, only to find out that he was the only survivor. He lost both his parents, seven brothers and a sister. He says that he lives with that grief 24 hours a day. Today, Ben is 96. He lives in California. And last year, when his wife went into a nursing home, Ben became very, very lonely. His house became very, very empty. And he decided that he was going to bring in a roommate. Enters 31-year-old Leah Heitfeld. Leah is a graduate student at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. She's studying Jewish studies. And she and Ben, despite the age difference, have struck up a deep friendship. They watch the news together every night. She helps Ben with his meals. They share cups of coffee. Ben's even gone and been a lecturer at some of her classes. They've just developed this deep, deep friendship. But I haven't told you the miraculous part of this story yet. Leah is German and she is the granddaughter of Nazis. For Ben to invite her into his home, he says it's an act of justice because it's something that, it's the exact opposite of what the Nazis would have done. And for Leah, she says that Ben has a big and forgiving heart and she has been blessed by being in his presence and him welcoming her and loving her into his home. The story of Ben and Leah illustrates to us what can happen when we reach out to those we are told to avoid. Ben and Leah's story illustrate for us that healing comes in many fashions and in many ways and often from unexpected and amazing places. Ben and Leah's story reminds us to listen to those who are unexpected because sometimes in the unexpected, unnamed, and surprising, it's where we receive God's healing spirit. In today's story that Dave just read, do not miss that this is a story about classism. It is entirely a story about classism. The young girl who is Jewish is unnamed, and she is a slave. In fact, she is now living with a commander of an army who would have taken her out of Jerusalem and resettled her in Syria. Her commander is a Gentile. He is not Jewish. Naaman is suffering from some kind of skin problem, and she says to her mistress, send him to Samaria where he can be healed. She's unnamed. She's young. She's Jewish. She's a girl, and she's a slave. You cannot get much lower on the classism chart than where she is. Naaman travels to Samaria, to Israel. He goes there to receive healing. And then he's surprised when Elisha says, no, I'm not going to do it your way. You're going to do it my way. And Naaman gets upset because Naaman expects, I'm the big dude, you come out and see me. And then it is Naaman's unnamed servants who say, but wait a minute, if he had asked you to do something big, you would have done it. Why can't you do something little and try that? It is the unnamed young slave girl who's a Jew 
and the unnamed servants of Naaman who encouraged Naaman to place his trust in the Lord. And it's through them, the low guys in the classism, who are bringing about the healing. God calls us to listen to the unnamed, surprising, unexpected other in our lives, for they may very well be an instrument of God's healing spirit. Alcy is the wife of Jesus, and Jesus is one of our Spanish-speaking pastors here, and his congregation's in Nevada. I first met Alcy and Jesus when they volunteered for Seven Loaves East one time. Alcy does not speak English. She speaks hardly any English at all. She's really not literate in English in any way, shape, fashion, or form. For those of you who have volunteered at Seven Loaves East on a Saturday, you know that somewhere around 9.15 or so we get this lull of activity except in November, and things get a little bit quiet. Alcee and I sat in here in the sanctuary and had a conversation. My, my using my cell phone with Google Translate, I would type in a sentence, I would hit translate, I would show it to her, and then she would do the same thing back. And that's how we had a conversation that day, by using, by using Google Translate. We have a language barrier between the two of us. We have a cultural barrier between the two of us. And yet, I consider Alcee to be a friend of mine. Every single time I see her, her eyes light up, her face develops this huge grin, and she gives me the biggest hug. And every time I see her, my eyes light up, and I get this smile on my face, and I reach in for that Alcee hug. I say, hola, como esta, which means, I think means, hello, how are you? At least that's what I'm trying to say. And then she'll say bien, and if she says bien, great. If she says anything other than that, I have no idea what she means. But bien means good, and that's what we have. That's what we have. In January of 2017, the regular volunteers at Seven Loves East noticed that our Spanish-speaking family stopped showing up. We had eight or nine families in December and zero in January, and we couldn't figure out why. And the volunteers started having a conversation, throwing out ideas about why this is happening. And then somebody said, well, we just need to find out. How many times have I told y'all never to assume what someone's need is, but to actually ask and find out what the need is? That's what we do with our missions of the month. So I contacted Alcee. I said, Alcee, what's going on? Obviously, through translation, what's going on? And she checked with the members of her congregation only to find out that members of their Spanish-speaking congregation were fearful of giving out their home address because they did not know who was going to receive that information. And so we were able to say that's not a problem. Don't let that be a problem. We won't even take your home address. We just want you to come. We need to note that the volunteers, the regular volunteers, including myself, having this conversation about why Spanish-speaking families had stopped coming it was a version of white privilege. Because we thought we were intelligent enough, we should be able to figure this out. Even though we were talking about a community I know nothing about, that I'm not involved in, I'm not a part of, we thought we could figure it out. And it took us a little while to say, no, wait a minute. We need to actually go and ask the questions. We needed to go to a population that does not speak English as a first language, a population in our society we are told to ignore, told to avoid, told to mistrust, told to not listen to. Who are the characters in our story 
who are unnamed? Who is it in our society who is vulnerable, who is ignored, who is cast aside? Who is it in our society that we are told not to value? Who is it in our society that we place very little value upon? I grew up understanding that Western medicine was the end-all, be-all of, of medicine. That if it didn't involve a white coat in a doctor's office or a hospital with a whole wall full of degrees from well-known American universities, then it's not real medicine. I was taught not to trust alternative medicine or Eastern medicine or anything like that. And then I injured my shoulder. Actually, I didn't injure my shoulder. I got a flu shot. And I don't know whether I tensed up or whether the young woman at the chain pharmacy who shall remain nameless didn't do her job well, but after that flu shot, I could not get my arm up above this. I could not stretch my arm out. I was locked up because of a flu shot. So I went to my doctor in the white coat with the degrees on the wall. I was given muscle relaxers, did absolutely nothing for me. And then a customer at the store where I was working said, you're not going to believe me, but my wife had the same problem. She went to a chiropractor and it fixed everything. I didn't trust chiropractors. I had heard the stories of, you know, getting paralyzed at a chiropractor and don't trust them, they're not real doctors. I had heard all of that, so I had never been to one. But Steve and I had someone that we knew in our church who was a chiropractor. I went to him and I said, look, dude, I don't trust you, but somebody has recommended this. Not only did he fix my shoulder in short order, he was able to diagnose a problem in my neck that I had been suffering with for years. I went back to him again and again, and every time he was able to bring the healing that I needed that the doctor in the white coat couldn't. I was told not to value something, yet through personal experience, I came to value that which I had been told was not of value. We are told in our society not to value the migrant, the immigrant, the homeless, the poor, the working poor, the drug addict, the criminal, the mentally ill, and those who do not have English as a first language. But through personal experience, when we engage in relationship with others, we come to value those whom society tells us are worthless. Personal experience makes the difference. Taking a category and creating a person. Today is All Saints Sunday. That's why the white, that's why the white. All Saints Sunday, we remember those who have influenced our faith and those who have passed away in this last year. On All Saints Sunday, we are reminded that the saints is a very big population. And on this day, we are reminded that the saints include unnamed, surprising, unexpected others in our lives. Each of us has a role to play in this church, and yet this church was built by people we don't know. Churches across this land have been built by people we don't know. We have no idea what their names are. We can think of people who have trained preachers, who have trained Sunday school teachers. We can think of people who have humbled us and those who have held up a mirror in front of our face. Each of us 
has an unnamed, surprising, unexpected saint in our lives. Each one of us does. Harvest 2018 happened last month. This was the evangelistic worship event that happened over at the stadium for four nights. Each night during that evangelistic event, that worship time, the local pastors and a prayer team was there to talk with people who needed prayer. When people came down for prayer, we were there to receive them. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, but it actually is significant in the story. I was the only woman who was there for that. On Friday night, there were two families that came down, both of them women. One brought two children with her. I saw them come down, but I also saw them go to Jesus, the Spanish-speaking pastor that I mentioned earlier in my sermon. And so I assumed that they spoke Spanish, and they went to the pastor that they knew. But then another pastor, Terry Busker over at Faith Family that, that um, Melanie and June know, he told me, he said, you can need to go over there because those, those are women. And I thought, but I didn't want to interrupt their conversation with Jesus. So I kind of went over quietly, and I just put my hands on the lady's shoulders. Jesus was praying. I couldn't understand what Jesus was saying, although I did pick up a few words. I heard Dios, which is God. I heard Señor, which can be translated Lord. And I heard Corazon, which I remembered as heart. And when I heard Corazon, I thought, this has got to be an absolutely beautiful prayer. This is a glorious, beautiful prayer. I stood there as he prayed, not understanding anything he said, but being blessed by this heartfelt, grace-filled, love-filled prayer that he was giving. The communion of the saints does not speak English. The communion of the saints speaks languages I've never heard of. And thank goodness that is true. Because when you combine all the languages together of all the Christians all around the world, it's melodious and it's musical. All Saints Day is about remembering those who have come before us and thanking them for their influence. But the communion of saints includes all believers, past, present, and future. And thank goodness that that includes the unnamed, surprising, unexpected others in our lives. Because otherwise, the communion of saints would be kind of boring. They all looked like me and talked like me. Hear these words of good news. God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God called an unnamed young Jewish female slave and unnamed servants to encourage them to trust in the Lord. God calls us to listen to the unnamed, surprising, unexpected others in our lives because they may very well be bearers of the Holy Spirit of God in healing form. Hear the good news. Each of us is someone else's other. I want you to hear what this commentator says. Whatever sociological context we are in, meaning wherever we are in society, we may create and act on stereotypes about those who are different from ourselves. We all tend to turn one who differs from us into an other who is somehow problematic and should therefore be ignored or dismissed. Every one of us is probably someone else's other. 
the irony that wisdom and insight come from unexpected sources invites us all to strive to curb this tendency. This story of Naaman and Elisha encourages us to recognize that any person may have important insights and be an instrument of God's saving work. God calls people regardless of circumstance, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of creed, nation, or language. God calls people. God calls you. God calls me. God calls us to listen to those unnamed, surprising, unexpected others in our lives. Like the young girl and Naaman's servants who may in fact be instruments of God's healing spirit. May we listen. And may we also be that other, that instrument of someone else's healing in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.